Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, March 5th, we're studying Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Jesus concludes his fourth major discourse in the Gospel of Matthew with one of his most extensive parables, the parable of the unforgiving servant. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brady Finnern. Pastor Finnern served at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Finnern, give us some context. We're here in the middle of Matthew 18. What do we need to know jumping into the text today? Well, um, like you said very um, wonderfully here is, you know, the, the sharper iron of law and gospel. And you see uh, a feel for that because right before we get to the forgiveness piece that Jesus speaks about with his parable is the understanding of the need of repentance, which happens right before this and the verses 15 to 20, which most of the time if somebody says, um, oh, Matthew 18, they're usually not talking about the parable of the unforgiving servant. They're talking about how to address a brother that has sinned, which is, you know, you address him individually. If that doesn't work, you have someone else come. And if that doesn't work, bring it before the church. We often use this in excommunication. And it can be kind of a harsh text, but it does show us the need for repentance. And, and as I would put it, Scripture points us to the need for all of us um, to have repentance, which God gives to us as a gift, that we re- that you know, we, we repent of our sins because we know of our, our sinfulness, the law that breaks us. And at the same time, we have the repentance, and we know that God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so really, this is the second piece of that, because if you end with how to address somebody to get repentance, um, to get them to repent, and you leave it there, it's like, all right, we're done. But here, it's like Jesus really... He pulls it back. Matthew emphasizes this, and Jesus brings it to the forefront of, yeah, repentance is a part of that Christian life that God gives to us as a gift, but there's an even better gift that the Lord gives to us, which is forgiveness that we not only receive, but that we also give. And so I really think um, how we can emphasize the forgiveness, and making sure we always emphasize the forgiveness part, is a real key part of Matthew 18 when you look at the whole chapter. Right. Yeah. As you, the guest yesterday pointed out as well, that when we hear the the words Matthew 18, we usually do think of the section that comes immediately prior to what we're looking at today, that, that if your brother sins against you, go alone, go with two, go with the church, and then treat him like a Gentile as a tax collector. But, but everything around it, both before and after, is emphasizing this need for forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that we receive from God and then that flows from us to our brothers. And I I really think that that context helps us to put what we call Matthew 18 in air quotes there is, I mean, it it helps us to keep it in the right, in the right frame of mind that we would approach it as, as Christians and not as Pharisees trying to, to say who's in and who's out, but rather as Christians trying to, to welcome Christ's little ones in in the repentance that they need so that forgiveness can be freely bestowed. I mean, the the context is just so important, and and the parable that we're going to see today is is just a part of that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it also brings us back, um, even before that, to the parable of the lost sheep, which it it reminds us God's role in the repentance and the forgiveness, which is um, that God is not one who waits for the sheep to come, you know, um, just like the, the father um, that pursued his son, the prodigal son, is that he goes and he finds that lost sheep. And I think that's what really brings bring to the heart the whole context, is a God who pursues in joy, who comes after in joy and goes to the cross in joy. And that's, it's, just, it's beautiful. I'm really excited to cover this. It's going to be great. 
so so real quick then, I, and at the beginning in my introduction, you know, I called this the parable of the unforgiving servant. That's the the title that the editors of the ESV put there. And and you know, we often do this. There's the the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and wheat, the parable of the the hidden treasure. We assign titles to the parables, which which are not necessarily in the text itself. And sometimes I think they're helpful, sometimes maybe not quite as helpful. What do, you, what do you think of the, and I know this is a little off script here, but but what do you think of the title, The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant? Does that put the emphasis yeah. in the right place, or what do you think? I think, well, it probably isn't the best. So you can look at it in, in two ways. Um, first of all, it, it shows us, you know, um, our lack of being forgiving, and and that's probably where the emphasis lies a little bit because it is i mean it is there's more to the story of it you know ultimately there's more of the unforgiving servant on this but the power in it the real depth of this is totally in the forgiving master or the forgiving king i mean that's really where um you have it but you think about it you know the parable of the lost sheep the emphasis on the lost sheep i suppose it's a way of them emphasizing our need for christ but I mean the real po- the, the 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 part that really ends it all and leaves us in peace and what we want to hear at the end of the day is the forgiving king and that's you know I would like for it to be a parable of the forgiving king it would be awesome but you know I'm not paid by ESV so there we are <laughs> that's right you know I mean and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with assigning a title the parable of the unforgiving servant it's helpful to have that shorthand but just to recognize that when we hear that title it, it does color perhaps the way that we're going to come at it and what we're going to see you know for example the the parable of the the prodigal son is how the I think you referenced it earlier in our conversation the, there's the two sons though right and so the title sometimes can maybe make us forget some of the details or, or put an emphasis somewhere. And it's just helpful to sometimes to imagine another title and, and to, to put the emphasis, as you said, on the forgiving king, right? That's going to be a key feature. And, and that's what's going to make the unforgiving servant stand out so much is because it is in such a contrast to, to the forgiveness that he receives from the king. So with that, let's go ahead and read the text here. We're in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. So, Pastor Finner, and here we're, we're looking at Matthew 18, and, and it's, it's in the middle of Jesus' discourse. This particular parable is prompted by a question from Peter. And, and I think the question makes sense. Jesus has just been talking about your brother who sinned against you, going and trying to gain your brother in these various ways. And, and it seems that Peter wants to know, well, how many times might I need to do that, Lord? And he mentions the number seven particularly. What are, what are we seeing behind, in Peter's question here? Well, um, I've re- read a number of commentaries on this, and there's about as many different opinions on that as possible. But one one I did find talked about how seven sounds like a good number. Clearly, it's a biblical number, but 
But part of it is, you know, I think about how many times that I would forgive somebody, you know, even my own kids or even my bride, and you think of, oh, forgive them seven times, possibly for the same sin, and you think, oh, Lord have mercy, that's a lot, you know. And so it sounds very pious, it sounds very, um, like I'm doing very well. And there's also some history that talks about how that during that time there was um, a reality that, you know, the priest would ask only for three times. Like, after three times, you can give up. So he kind of extends that, plus one, doubles it, plus one. So he's looking good. And um, and he asks that number just like um, sounding sounding very very good in the process. So seven is a, is a good number. It's a biblical number. He's got it. He's like, ah, maybe he'll say six or five or something lower than that. So I think the number is is double and and more than what most people would ever even consider in their lives. Hmm. This may be a difficult question to consider, and the text may not give us a a specific answer, but Peter's question, is he asking for himself? Is he looking for a a loophole, maybe? What, What do you think about Peter's mindset here? Well, yeah, that's hard to tell, you know. Um, it, it, you know, it sounds like if you were to be today, you'd ask that question, and you get this as pastors quite a bit, is, so, Pastor, what do you think of this? And a lot of times you're acting as if the question is somebody else's. And so sometimes I wonder when I read this, is this, Paul, is this, is this Peter asking for himself because he's mad at one of the other disciples or James or John or something? Um, to me, it's one of those things where he's asking for, quote, a friend, but he's struggling with it individually to say, how many times do I actually have to forgive? And at the same time, um, maybe he's already forgiven someone six times, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to do the next. Or I've already done it seven times, and I'm just spent. So he's trying to find a loophole to say, you've done enough, which is very common for us as Christian people where, We'll say, you know what, I feel guilty about this, or I didn't do this. Um, and what we want is someone to, quote, justify us, just like uh, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he tries to figure out, justifying himself, who is my neighbor? Here, I think there's a certain amount of Peter trying to say, I think I've done enough, and I want Jesus to be the one to justify me here by saying, yeah, seven's good. And then probably he's already forgiven someone seven times, so he can go home and, and feel fine. But Jesus clearly doesn't allow that. Right, yeah. I, I, yeah. You And again, if this is Peter's mindset or not, I suppose we don't know for a fact. But I do think today this is how, how we would use it. And I know I've tried to use it, and I'm, I'm sure people have come to me, and, and maybe I haven't realized that they were trying to ask the question this way. But, but in that sense, that they would be trying to justify the, themselves, justify themselves apart from Christ's mercy. He wants... Peter, maybe, right, wants Jesus to justify him apart from forgiveness of sins. He wants, he wants to, and again, this is a maybe, but I I know that I see it in my own heart. So, so it's not a maybe for me. I I want Jesus to justify me because of what I've done. Yeah. You, you checked that box. You did it perfectly. And, and Jesus just won't give us that kind of justification. He he won't that, that sort of self-justification. Instead, what do we see Jesus answer, Peter? Well, not seven, um, 70 times seven, or some translations have said 77 times, but ultimately it's the same, it's the same dynamic. Uh, whether it's 77 times or 70 times seven, it's more than we could ever possibly imagine of forgiving one person, especially if it's similar sins. Or, I mean, I can't, I just, I can't even imagine like starting to, to check off the list here, even like... Um, asking my wife for that much forgiveness or or forgiving um, my children or my parents or anybody. I mean, as much as I love each one of them, the idea of forgiving them that often is is exhausting to think about. I mean, it's beyond comprehension. It really is. Mm-hmm. But Jesus isn't... It- He's not intending Peter to do the math here, right? This is this is something you know. He's not waiting for Peter to figure out what seventy times seven is. He's rather saying your forgiveness is unlimited, essentially. Oh, yeah, right. And that's you know once again goes back to that number. He's using his number he used and showing the unlimited action of that. Obviously, you know the creation account of the unlimitedness of of God's creation. He, I mean, he connects all those dots, but he just shows 
that we are to be, be forgiving people, which, I mean, that's terrifying too. I just, this, this whole parable, actually a lot of the book of Matthew puts you back, um, it, it, re- it brings you to your knees. It makes you realize we have a lot of work to do as Christians, but obviously le- pushes us and leans us um, right to the grace of God. And this one's right there. So yeah, forgiveness. We've got to be forgiving. And and in order to be forgiving, you have to be forgiven, which which I think is is where the parable is going to to put the emphasis is on that, as we're going to see the forgiving king. Because I think you're right, Pastor Finneran, that if if this parable is well, I mean it, it is terrifying. And in fact, you know when when you read this is I don't remember exactly where this shows up in the in the church here, but I know it does. And you're reading this. In, in church and you, you get to the end and you say, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And then the pastor, you're, what are you supposed to say? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And <laughs> wait a second. That was that was terrifying. Right. And and so, I mean, from a from a matter of from a perspective of the law as forgiveness that, that I have to do, this is terrifying. And so we we, we definitely as we read through it. We, we got to see the gospel of the forgiving king. Otherwise, that's all this parable would have for us is, is terror, I think. It is. It is. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, it's kind of like you have that, that uh, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. This is the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's always fun as a pastor to <laughs> say that. So it goes right along with that. Sure. So, but this is the gospel of the Lord. And so we want to see that gospel. So, so Jesus has, has heard Peter's question. He's given Peter an answer, but now he's going to illustrate that answer with a, a parable. And this is one of Jesus' more extensive parables. He's, he's got some that are very short. This is one that's, that's pretty long, de- develops quite a bit of detail and rightly so. So the, the text, the parable starts, as, as we've heard before, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven is like, and here the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a king settling accounts. Take us into this this parable, Pastor Fennern. Yeah, so the basics of it is, um, so when we think of parables, I like to say that parables are a story, definitely in that time range, to show how God's kingdom in Christ works. And so there's a lot of, you can do a lot of games with it, try to figure out who's who in here, but ultimately just see how the story unfolds on the action that is happening and how this action relates to how God's kingdom in Christ is functioning. And so you hear, you have the king, and the king wants to settle all of his accounts in the land with his servants, which is clearly a good move. Politically, it's a good move because it shows that he cares about the people, um, it's a good financial move because there's probably debts out there that need to be settled, and therefore it's going to be a good um, financial move for the country, for the land, for him, um, for others involved, and it's going to make him look like a good king. And when he is about um, to do this, he begins to settle, and he has one that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I've read about three or four commentaries on this, too, and there's a lot of different opinions about what 10,000 talents would be. But basically, a talent is, you know, 20 years of work. Um, and so you think of 20 years of work, at about 50,000 bucks, it's a million dollars, you have 10,000 of that. Well, the amount of money or time or energy that is, that is, that is crazy amount. We have no idea what this guy could have done in order to owe the government or owe the king nearly that amount of money. And so there he is, says, you owe me this amount of money. And it is an impossible situation in order to um, <laughs> in order to try to pay that back. Clearly, it's good for the king if he even gets a little slice of that back. But he presents him with almost an impossible thing. How can I pay back ten thousand talents? And that's that's the beginning. Once you realize that number means, you realize the impossibleness of of paying something like that back, which obviously points us back to ourselves. Um, and makes this parable very unique, I think, in all of the parables. It shows the impossible um, reality for us in our sin. Mm. The, this matter of the 10,000 talents being just an impossible number to imagine, the, the closest that I can come in terms of a picture is the is the United States national debt. And I, I should have looked up how much it is now. <laughs> but it, it, it's just a ridiculous amount of, of money that you're talking about and, and thinking about how to pay it back, right? Well, that's, I, I think this is even worse, the 10,000 talents. This is just 
laughable. It's, it's ludicrous to think that, that someone, let alone a servant, could accrue this sort of debt. And, and it's, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's meant to paint just this crazy picture of the debt. Now, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's probably worth pointing out that the king is the one who's going to settle accounts with his servants. Because, I mean, if you're the servant, if you even know you've got a bill this large, there ain't no way you want to pay it back, <laughs> right? So, so the king has got to be the one to go, go after and I, but I think you mentioned this earlier, Pastor Finneran, the the parable of the the lost sheep. Previously, this is this is really a picture of of God going after those who are who are lost. And, you know, he's you know he from a from a political perspective, right? The king, it's going to be a good move economically, politically. But from God's perspective, what's what's he doing here? He's going after the one who's lost and and who maybe doesn't even realize. He's accrued this kind of debt, you know. I mean, and, and this—that's uh, I think that's a good picture of us in our sin. How, how often do we sin and sin and sin without even realizing it? And and God, in His mercy, has to come along and show us: here's what the account looks like. It's bad. Right? I mean, I think I think so. I, when we put it that way, I, there's, there's just there's lots of contours to this parable. That I think we want to work our way into and, and paint that picture. What do you think, Pastor Finner? Yeah, you know, and and it, it comes down to this too. There's, uh, so when you know that there is something wrong, so either it's a relationship that's been broken, you owe something of somebody, or a sin that you know from your past, or something. You know, I mean, we all know that in our hearts that that's there. And when you um, kind of go around, you've heard the statement that somebody finally got caught for some indiscretion. And they kind of said, you know what, I'm glad I finally got caught because it's been such a burden on me. That here's, here's a moment for the king, and obviously clearly with God, is that when he finally addresses it, it's not only a revelation of the sin, but it's, a, it's an opportunity to finally be able to address something that has been such a burden. So here's mm-hmm. this guy that owes billions of trillions of dollars, um, by the way, the national debt was uh, 22 trillion in 2019, a year ago. So it's even worse wow. than 22 trillion. So, um, so let's just say 22 trillion dollars that you owe somebody. That's not only something that you don't like it when someone reveals it, but that's been deep, deep on your heart. You're thinking because it talks about his wife, he talks about his kids, mm-hmm. how much you know that when they find out this about me, then I am a fraud. Like, in some ways, you want that burden to be gone, just to be out in the open. And so I just, I, I feel this parable a lot as a father, you know, where you, you realize your faults, and there's times where when people, somebody actually addresses it, it just gets it out in the open, and now we can start reconciling. And so you feel that he probably has a little bit in his heart, too, that this is not only something weighing him down now, but has been for quite some time. So the king comes to him and he's going to settle accounts and and the guy can't pay which which I mean of course he can't pay this is a ridiculous amount of money and so so the master is going to sell him and his whole family into slavery to make this payment how does the servant respond to that terrible news Yeah I, uh, first of all like I said as a father we all, as fathers, I can only speak as a father, I can't speak as a mother, but I can speak as a father, that, that we want to provide for our families. And now that has been revealed that he can't, and now he, the consequences are that he has to go through the shame and the agony of being sold into slavery, probably separated from his family, his children, um, the family name is scarred, everything is scarred. So the only option he has is to plead for mercy. That's all he has. And so it tells us that um, sign of repentance, that he gets on his knees and he says to the Lord, have patience with me. Which I think is interesting that they use the word patience here. This is a gift of the Spirit, as we know from Galatians chapter 5. And he prays, literally, it's, almost, it's a prayer that, that the gift of the Spirit would work in the King. And uh, have patience with me. And then he says something that's not even possible. He's, he's, he says, he's like, oh, and I'll pay you back everything. Well, he can't even do that. So he's pleading to God, um, or to, to the king, I can do this. 
I can do this. And it's laughable. So the only hope this guy has is that the gift of patience will be given to the king. And so there he is on his knees. And, and it also has implications for the king. Because if the king, here's this guy, owes you know, $22 trillion plus dollars, um, and he says, oh, you don't owe any of it. I mean, you can have mass chaos. It's like in our world today. It's like if you paid off all the credit card debt, then people would just keep, you know, buying junk all the time. They wouldn't even care about the implications of it. That's our perception, at least. And they're like, if he forgives it, well, then he's going to be seen as weak. But if he actually puts them in jail and sells them all, everyone's going to be, you know, tightening, tightening the belt a little bit, making sure that they're doing the right thing. So this is a political scary thing for the king. You know, he can be seen as gracious, or he can be seen as a wimp, or he can be seen as one um, who serves the people. It's really, at this point, it makes no sense for the king to make the move that he does. Hmm. Uh, There's two parts, I think, to the servant's answer. And as you said, I'll pay you everything is laughable. There's no way that this guy could ever, I mean, just as impossible as it was for him to accrue this kind of debt, so impossible it is for him to ever pay this kind of debt. But the, but the prayer at the beginning, this have patience with me, I think, I think is important, especially when we consider that, that this, this king is going to stand for, for the Lord. Well, think about that creed from the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. The Lord's patience is evident. And, and this is what this servant is, is ultimately going to find out, is going to, to bring him the mercy, as we'll see. We'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're going to take that short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Thursday, March 5th, we're studying Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 with Pastor Brady Finnern of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, prior to the break, we were looking at the, the servant's prayer. He prays for patience from the king, which we know is, a, is, is an attribute of God in the Old Testament, that he is, he is long-suffering. He, he's uh, long-nosed, right? He's, he's slow to anger. He's patient. But he, the servant also says he's going to pay everything, which is just laughable. How does the king respond? Well, he has, uh, it says in the text, pity. It could also be translated as compassion with the Greek word that we have, which is kind of a movement of the, of the stomach, you know, when you feel bad for somebody, um, you have the same feeling. And once again, the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the the Samaritan had compassion or pity on the man on the side of the road. This, this gives us an understanding, even a small glimpse of God's love for us, that the king um, sees uh, has pity on him more than you can even imagine to the point where the master released him of all this and forgave him the debt. Um, completely doesn't owe him a monthly payment, doesn't owe him his life, doesn't ask for a thank you card, doesn't ask for anything. He completely releases him and forgives him of the 22 plus trillion. I'm really going to go with this economy, <laughs> this uh, national debt thing. $22 trillion of debt completely um, forgiven. I mean, I, it's unbelievable to even think about this kind of story. So, I mean, and, and this is, this is well, just to be clear what we're talking about, this is a picture of God's forgiveness for us, right? Right, right. And, and this goes beautifully into this, and this is hard for me to understand, but Scripture is so crystal clear on the understanding of that when Christ, when God forgives us in Christ, it is completely gone. So you look at Isaiah 1, though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. He doesn't, he doesn't say that like on a coat that part of it is, is clean and the rest is, you know, the rest is still scarlet or 
that there's a little bit of a mixture. It's not quite as as red as it was. It's like boom, completely white. One of my favorites is Psalm 103:12, where it talks about um, the the forgiveness of our Lord. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. This gives us that understanding of, especially when you look at east and west, it never stops. You know, it just keeps going, which tells you that you can look as far one direction and far the other direction. Everything in between this all this uh, infinite um, idea of space. Is, that's how many of your sins have been completely forgiven when we have the Lord Jesus um, and his forgiving grace. And, that, and that's beautifully pictured here, because we can say all your sins are forgiven, but until you actually understand that the debt that we owe to the Lord is, is trillions of dollars, um, which is why in Psalm 32 it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, reminding us that whenever we acknowledge our sin, is our Lord who covers it and, and he forgives the iniquity of our sin, that it is completely gone. And also Jeremiah, when, when he talks about um, that I will remember their sins no more, that it's not only that he forgave them, like he's hovering over it and saying, well, you know, um, I still have this. It's a reminder that um, it's forgiven and he has forgotten them completely. Yeah, it, it's totally, totally gone. And this, this is a theme that that runs throughout the scriptures. One of one of my favorites is in, is in Psalm one hundred thirty, uh, which I was reading recently with some of my shut-ins as as we just recently came through Ash Wednesday, and and the image there, you know, O Lord, if if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The the image that that I often use is the image of of like God standing at a chalkboard and, and putting a tally mark down for every single sin. And imagine how how big that chalkboard would have to be. But but he comes and and he he erases it because of the blood of Christ, right? I mean, and, and again, this is this is where we're maybe going beyond the imagery of the, the parable, but but the debt, the debt of the servant is paid, or, or maybe we should say it this way, the debt of the sinner is paid, but it's not paid by the sinner. The debt is paid by Christ, right? I mean, and that's that's where, where we need to take this application as we think about it for us as Christians, right, Pastor Finnerd? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, and one of the ways it, it kind of falls is that understanding uh, compared to when you, um, you're driving and you have a speeding ticket and the speeding mm-hmm. ticket, the, or you're speeding, the cop stops you and says, you know what you're doing? Yeah, I was speeding. And, and then the, the police officer is like, well, you're going to have to pay $130 in order to be, you know, to not have any other issues because you were speeding. Okay. And then we, a lot of times we think the gospel is the, the police officer saying, oh, by the way, don't worry about it. Um, you know, just I'll overlook this. We th- sometimes we think that's the gospel, but the gospel is that the police officer actually pays for it, and they not only pays for it, he pays for it with his life, <laughs> which is just crazy to think about. And that's and that's where the imagery here really gets strong when you look at First um, John. Um, uh, he who is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Um, and it, it points us straight to the blood of Jesus and that he has taken it all upon himself um, to forgive these sins. That, that the debt was paid, you know, um, when we think of the gospel, and it wasn't just overlooked, it was paid by Jesus' death and, uh, and his resurrection. And, and I think, too, and again, maybe this is going a bit beyond the imagery of the parable, because the imagery of the parable is of a, a debt being gone. But right. but as we think in in terms of 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 what Christ does for us, you know, it, it's not only the and, and when I call this when I say negative, I don't mean that it's a bad thing, but it's negative in the sense that it takes away. It's not only the forgiveness of sins, which is a removal of sins, but there is also the gift of Christ's own righteousness that that is imputed to us, that is given to us by God's declaration that we are counted. Not not as sinners, but we're actually counted as righteousness. So it's it's not just that there's a, a blank slate that's been wiped clean of our sins, but now that that's Christ's righteousness on my on my chalkboard that's covering me. Right, this is the baptismal language of, of being clothed with Christ. So not only are my my sinful clothes I'm I'm using all kinds of metaphors here. Not only are my my sinful clothes being taken off, 
but actually something is being put onto me, this new life in Christ. And again, that maybe that's not as, as clear in the imagery of the parable, but I do think when we consider, consider that in terms of all of Scripture's teaching on, on this, it is going to help us as we move forward into the parable, that it's not just the matter of the debt being taken away, but it's a, a totally new life that's being given to this man because that debt has been taken away. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's the beauty of this as we move forward, is that when this happened, he has a new identity. And the new identity is one who doesn't owe, um, doesn't owe, well, doesn't owe the king. And that, that's a different identity than just, oh, I don't have to worry about anything, but it's, an, it's a new identity for him as a father. It's a new identity for him as a, as a husband. It's a new identity with him and how he relates with other people, as we do as Christians, is that since we are in Christ, we have a new identity that extends us into the world in order to live um, not like the world does, you know, that we are to live differently. And that's what we hope to see from the rest, in the rest of the parable. Uh, but it, but it's not what we see. So, so we've we've got this. This servant has been forgiven a ridiculous amount of debt. What does he do next? Well, then he he goes out. Um, you think you would say something like a little more pep in his step or something along those lines? Um, but it just says the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So, just for comparison's sake. 100 denarii is not a small amount of money. Um, so it's like 100 days wages. And I think about if, if I owed someone 100 days wages and they wanted it tomorrow, well, then I might have an issue because I'm probably not going to be able to pay it off um, necessarily by tomorrow. You know, I will be able to, but not by tomorrow. So it's, it's a big chunk of money, but it's not $22 trillion in debt. You know, it's, it's pennies compared to what this guy literally just got uh, forgiven for. And he not only goes to him, seizes him, but I, I got this imagery of this um, in the old Simpsons, the Homer Simpson and Bart, where, you know, whenever Homer would get upset at Bart, he would grab him by the neck and say, wow, you little, you know, <laughs> and, there's, and there's this guy grabbing this guy by the neck, and why you little, you owe me 100 denarii. And I'm guessing that there might have been a rumor out there already that this guy had been forgiven of all of his debt. And so people clearly are seeing his hypocrisy. Um, but there he is. Pay what you owe. He's choking him. Pay what you owe. And it's such, a, such an imagery of realizing, um, first of all, this guy's hypocrisy. But it also points to us how we are ones who are so ready to be able to get what we owe, um, what, pe- what we deserve, as opposed to realizing we don't deserve any of it. So yeah, that's his reaction, is to start choking a guy, which is clearly grace-centered. <laughs> wow, I mean, the image of the image of the Simpsons, I I think is if if you've seen if you've seen that, that's a that's a, a, a great image to to have in your mind of, of this guy choking him, right? I mean, just the the very visceral reaction he's got, and it it just doesn't fit with what's just happened, particularly. I mean, as as Jesus points out, this is his fellow servant. This is not like the relationship that we just saw, king-servant. These are two fellow servants that we're talking mm. about, which which just makes this guy's reaction all the more, it, it's just, it doesn't fit with, with what should follow, even though it's what, what happens. They're fellow servants. Right. And, and, that's, and that's another point in this that is quite disturbing, is how it's one thing if this guy had power over the other. You know, he's his boss, or he's like a, um, somehow a, a first among equals or something. But this is completely a guy in the same plane, probably a guy that has a wife and children, a guy who's trying to make it through life. They totally understand this. And he knows himself what it's like to owe money and the burden that's on there and how much compassion that he needed. And there's this guy choking him literally and and he this guy this other servant that owes him 100 denarii says the same words have patience with me and i will pay you back so he says the same exact words um probably on his knees um i guess i haven't really looked at that if that's uh what actually is going on here but he pleaded oh he doesn't say knees but he says he pleaded with him have patience with me and i will pay you and instead of having 
um, compassion or the splachna, as we talked about, uh, pity on him, he instantly refused. Um, refused to give mercy, even though he was given mercy. He refused to forgive, even though he was forgiven. And not only that, is that he, um, he also threw him into jail as if he had done the worst sin of all time. And, and probably even the worst thing about this is he could have paid it back. I mean, he could never have paid back $22 trillion. But this guy could have, with mercy, with grace, could have paid back 100 denarii in a relatively short time period. Um, but yet he had zero grace or mercy or forgiveness for this guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, 100 denarii, denarii being one day's wage, this is just a little bit over three months wages, which, as you said, is, is a considerable chunk of change. But it's possible to pay that back. I mean, with with the patience again, and there's that, that word showing up again. And, and it's it's telling to see how the the characteristic of the king that he had patience and even beyond patience, in fact, but that that doesn't transfer now to this servant. And again, there's just a, there's this total disconnect between the first part of the parable and, and how you see that develop versus how the second half of the parable just, just doesn't fit with, with the flow. It, it should be different, but it's not, which is, which is the point that Jesus is, is driving home. And, and here now, as, as you said, what's happened between the king and that first servant has already apparently become known among the other fellow servants. And so, too, is the interaction between the two servants. And, and this lack of forgiveness among the servants now has an effect on the entire community. Right. So verse 31, it talks about how his fellow servants, which means more than these two guys, clearly there was a... Um, I don't want to say union is the right word, but there was an identity of, you know, uh, we're in this together, we're servants, we're a community, uh, we're together in this thing. And they, they saw what was going on, and they were greatly distressed. Um, because although we all know that we make mistakes and that we all have fallen short of the glory of God, when it is a blatant hypocrisy, it affects much more than yourself. It affects much more than your own family. It affects communities. Um, and so how uh, these kind of things happen, and sin is so destructive, especially when there's something like this. It, it affects so many people when they see the blatant hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing the other, which is why in the church, whenever you have something like that, so you know, hypocritical, it affects a whole congregation. It helps a whole. It affects a whole community, not only at that time but way beyond. And that, and that's a feeling I've had here is, is just the the effects of sin, the effects of something like this, and how that greatly distresses so many people. And so when they go to the master and tell what has happened, you, you could tell that they were going there probably like yesterday, you know, with with sackcloth and ashes. Just oh, so much pain and agony and sin and brokenness happening here that everybody's coming before the king and saying this is a problem what what can we do how do we do this which also gives us a, a clear picture of how we can come to our heavenly father um as a loving father will hear us and so i that's one part i really gathered from this is the pain and agony within the community and how they felt um, um they felt enough uh comfort with the king that they could go back to him and to tell him about all these things and really ask for his help. And so then the, the king comes and, and begins to speak words that, you know, as, as, I, as I look at the words that the, the king speaks, he probably, well, he would have. He would have been justified of saying many of them to the servant in the first place. But he, he saves them for now, that after the servant has received the king's forgiveness, and then refused to extend it. Now is when he hears these these terribly harsh words from his king. How, how does the king respond to the servant's lack of forgiveness? Well, he, <laughs> it's much like Jesus when he's talking to the Pharisees and others, and he says, uh, "You brood," when John the Baptist, excuse me, um, "You brood of vipers." <laughs> it's very similar here. You wicked servant. He's clearly talking to this one. I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
he is not pleased. And it's not just, I'm angry with you, and I'll get over it in a few days. You know, kind of like uh, sometimes we'll have that with our own kids or with other people. It's like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with you for now for a few days. This has eternal um, implications. And and so he's not only speaking of the current, but he's talking about the future, that you did this, and this is unforgivable, basically. And in anger, he delivered him to the jailers where he should pay all of his debt. And the double wording in that really is that this is un, this is beyond what we need to be as Christian people, and he will now have to pay all of his debt because clearly um, he's one who maybe thought he had a chance. Um, maybe he thought that maybe he actually believed he could have paid back that debt, which is why when he forgave it, he went back and did the same sin or did the same problems that he probably did before this guy forgave him. So now it's like, fine, you want to do it on your own? I'm going to let you do it. Go into jail and pay off your debt. Um, so clearly shows the ridiculousness of of this guy, the servant, but also the ridiculous of us whenever we think that we have a chance to save ourselves or that we have a chance that if I just do this, if I just do that, and our eyes are on ourselves, that we totally lose sight of the eternal riches that God gives in his forgiveness and therefore the eternal riches of forgiveness in Christ that we should give to others. So to try to summarize some of, of what you're saying there, Pastor Finner, then the the problem with the lack of forgiveness is that it, it shows that you don't receive the Lord's forgiveness in the first place. When, when this servant refused to forgive his fellow servant, it, it showed that he thought he could pay the debt in the first place that he had. And so now the master is, or the king is going to basically give him what he wants. You, you think you can pay this debt? All right, go ahead and try, which I think circles us back around to the very beginning of our conversation uh, about someone who would ask a question in an attempt to justify themselves. That's never going to work. The, the only way that you can be justified is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the free forgiveness of your sins, not by paying back any debt that you owe, but by receiving the grace of the one who's paid the debt for you, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that new life then simply has to express itself in forgiveness, not, not by way of compulsion, but because it's a new life. It's a new tree. And so new fruit is going to come forth. And, and the, so the lack of forgiveness in the, in the second servant is, is the sign that he, he didn't actually receive or didn't believe the forgiveness that he had received. It's a heart issue. It's a faith issue. Mm. Yep. And, uh, and, and because what God calls us to is faith. And uh, faith in all the gifts that he is willing to give, uh, which is obviously um, in the forgiveness of sins that we see here. And, and he calls us to faith every single day when we are sinned against, and he calls us to once again forgive because he forgives us. I mean, it goes to Ephesians 4, right? He talks about being kind to one another. 4.32, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And this is why there's a church um, in Topeka, Kansas. I did my vicarage. There was another church in, in town that on it it said, Christ Lutheran Church, the forgiveness place. And that's what we need to be known by, you know, is the idea of we are not only receiving the forgiveness from Christ, but we are ones who are extending this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul says in Corinthians, um, this ministry of reconciliation to forgive others, even up to 70 times, seven times. Why? Because Jesus forgives us more, you know. Um, there's more forgiveness to give than there is sin, and that's how Jesus sees it, and then therefore we go out as his ambassadors to forgive sins, obviously in church, but in our everyday lives, and extend that, even when it's hard. I mean, we, um, we pray that when we do forgive others, that the Lord fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can um, be comfortable in the words that he's commanded us to give. Because if I try to forgive my kids, or my wife, and to feel good about it the whole time, um, I might never forgive him. It might never happen. Um, but he calls us to do it, and he promises that he will bear fruit from this forgiveness um, that we give to others. Is it, you know, this is who we are, forgiving people. Is it hard? Um, is it easy? No. Is it our calling? Yes. 
and God will work through it. Pastor Fenner, we got just under four minutes left here on the morning. Perhaps it's an, an opportunity just to be very practical concerning this, because as you said, I mean, and, and this has been one of the questions that, that always comes up whenever I'm, I'm teaching the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And and the the statement that's made is, is well, Pastor, that that's really hard. How, I, I don't know how I, how do I do that? What... I mean, just thinking in terms of the very practical application, how how does this happen in the Christian life that we would actually forgive as the Lord has forgiven us? Well, you know, like you said, it's not easy, and I don't I don't ever want to force somebody to forgive. You know, like because um, you have cases where you're meeting with a couple and you and you do ask, "Are you ready to forgive this person?" And, so, and legitimately, there's times where someone says no. And you don't want to put someone in a tough position where they're just not ready to forgive. But that's another opportunity for us to teach outside of those big, those big moments of how to forgive the little things. Because in our culture, we tend to do this, is when someone says, you know, I'm sorry about this, we don't use forgiveness language. We'll say, uh, oh, don't worry about it, water under the bridge, you know, no big deal, those kind of things. And probably the best way to prepare us for this is to always use forgiveness language someone says, you know, I'm sorry for this, you say, I forgive you, or in Christ you're forgiven. Um, th- those kind of things go a long ways, because if we're able to forgive the little ones, God prepares us to forgive the bigger ones. And, and, and maybe that's not quite, <laughs> I'm not sure how to put that all together, but I think there's some truth, to, there's a lot of truth to that, is how can we make sure that we are um, proclaiming this forgiveness, even for the little ones, because not only is it good for that person, but it's also good for us because we can move on from whatever that situation might be. And I'll use this example. I saw a classmate from high school. For 20 years, I haven't seen him. And I saw him recently. And things kind of, they didn't end well, I would say, after high school, just various things. And I saw him at a conference, and he's involved in his church as an elder and all those things. And we sat down, we're talking. It was great forever. And one of the things is I knew there was wrong. And I told him, you know, I know I said things, and I, and I have to admit I don't know all that I said, but I do, I do know I did. And then he told me what he remembered, and it was, it was horrifying for me to think about. But then I said, I'm really, really sorry for that. And he said, literally, I forgive you. And I feel like that man um, who owed $22 trillion, is that when he said that, it has brought a new relationship with him, it's you know it's brought me to a new relationship with everybody else, and although I'm not um, living a free and joyous life, it does change things and it gives us a new identity. And I pray that He continues to allow me to extend that same forgiveness to others. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Pastor Brady Finnern is the pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. Pastor Finnern, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. God bless you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.